0: Guy walks into a bar, <laughs> it's not a joke, why are you laughing already? No, it is. Yeah, of course it's a joke. A guy walks into a bar and he, uh, he says, I'll have a shot of whiskey. And uh, the bartender pours him a shot. The guy drinks it and the bartender says, that'll be $5. So he says, no, what are you talking about $5? I said, I'll have a shot of whiskey. I did not mention remuneration in our oral contract. You put the shot on the bar, Clearly, you were giving it to me for free. So he says, no, no, that's not what I had in mind. He says, well, you didn't specify. So there's another guy at the bar there. He says, you know, I happen to be a contract lawyer, and technically he's right. So the bartender says to the guy, okay, you scammed me out of a free drink. Good for you, congratulations, but you're banned for life. Enjoy it, because you never, I'm never serving you again. So the guy takes a shot, walks out of the bar, Next day, he walks in. Walks up to the bar. The bartender says, "Buddy, you're banned for life." He says, "What are you talking about?" I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea what you're talking about 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 a ban. I've never been here before. The bartender says, "Wow. Then you must have a double." He says, "Exactly. Two scotches." (laughs) You got it. Double. Double. Okay. It's a pun. Anyways, speaking of contract law. There are not a lot of jokes about contract law, so you gotta give me a little bit of leeway here. Speaking of contract law, okay. This is the last Parsha of the year. Parsha's Nitzavim. And at the very beginning, we speak about a contract. A covenant. Atem Nitzavim Hayeim. You <coughs> are all standing. Today, kulchem, all of you, lifnei Hashem aleikechem, before Hashem your God, roshechem, shivtechem, the heads of your tribes, ziknechem, your elders, v'shetrechem, your officers, koeli Yisrael, every man of Israel, Taphem, your children, nisechem, your women, v'ger chashem, bekerav machanecho, the convert in the midst of your camp. From the choppers of wood, to the drawers of water. For what purpose? In order that you may pass, you may come under the covenant or the contract of Hashem your God. Okay. So, a few things here. First of all, What we just read is a list of all types of members of the nation. And after saying all these different types, it says, In order to pass under the covenant, or enter the covenant of Hashem your God. In order, order meaning for the purpose of. So, basically what it's saying is, in order that we be able to secure this deal, we have to have everybody, all these categories, all these different diverse types included. Okay, so the first question is, if you're negotiating a deal, generally speaking, it doesn't strengthen your side if you group yourself in with all types of people, especially with people who might be Uh, weaker uh, as far as in in terms of a position of negotiation than you are. So why does it enumerate all these different types including the lowest members or rank or echelon of society and say that that is for the purpose of or in order to uh, finalize and seal the deal. It's like, I'll give you an example. Let's say you know 100% that you're healthy and you're going to stay healthy. So why would you want to be part of a group paying into insurance for people who you know are sick and they're going to be sick, right? Now, the reason you pay into insurance is because you don't know. There's no guarantee. But imagine you knew you're healthy, you have no plan on getting sick, you're not going to get sick, so why are you paying for the unhealthy people? So same type of reasoning. If, you, if you're trying to negotiate a deal, why are you pooling together with people who are in a weaker position than you. Okay, that's the first question. Second question is, there's, an, there's another deal or another covenant or contract that's hinted to in these verses. Rashi actually mentions it. Because when it talks about the uh Teve Tzecha, the woodchoppers, Rashi tells us who these people are. He says, this teaches us that there were Canaanim, there were Canaanites that came to convert to Judaism in the days of Moshe Rabbeinu, but they were insincere. They were not interested in Judaism. They did it in order to um, not be defeated by the by the Israelite army. And Rashi says it's actually similar to something that we read about more explicitly. Here, this is only hinted to, but elsewhere in Tanakh, it's more explicit in the book of Yeshua, in the book of Joshua, it talks about the Givonim, who are another uh, indigenous nation, and they did the same type of thing. They came under false pretexts and converted to Judaism, but it wasn't sincere, but after they had already done so, they had already made a covenant, they made a contract, and at that point, Uh, Yeshua would not renege on the contract and the same type of thing with Moshe Rabbeinu. He wouldn't wouldn't back out of it. So it's interesting that in the context of a contract between the Jewish people and Hashem, we're hinting to another contract which was sort of done under false pretenses or in a duplicitous manner. It was actually uh, like a... so somewhat fraudulent contract that was honored by both by Moshe in his generation and then Yeshua in his generation. So, what's the connection there with that other contract that's hinted to within this contract? Okay. And then, thirdly, just a general sort of question how does this idea, as we mentioned, this is the last parsha of the year, how does this idea help prepare us? for the coming year and I might say both prepare us for the coming year and also maybe on a more specific level to uh, how does it help us to get ready for the high holidays the actual uh, high holiday rush that's coming next week okay so we'll put all that on the back burner for a moment Um, I'll tell you a story There was once a Jew who became somewhat of a fixture at the Febrengens of the Lubavitcher Rebbe in the late 1970s and the early 1980s. Um, And he was uh, an unusual sort of character. In fact, if you would see him at the gatherings, you would spot him instantly, because he didn't look like anybody else there, uh, he'd wear a, like a bucket hat. And uh, he would stand up on the on sort of the, uh, the bleachers and he would pump his fists and he would cheer, sort of like, uh, like a coach cheering a, a, a team. And, and there was a reason for that, he actually was a coach. He was, his name was Abe Sachs, and he was the coach of the Harlem Globetrotters basketball team. And (laughs) there's a whole story how he actually ended up becoming the coach at the Verbrengens. He became the coach. He cheered and coached the Verbrengens. So how did that happen? He was sitting at home, watching television and uh, he lived somewhere on Long Island, maybe not far from here, I'm not sure which town he lived in, but uh, he was watching a documentary about Jews in America and about Hasidim in Brooklyn, and he, there was a, there was a, a segment about, the, about Lubavitch and about the Rebbe, and he was very taken with what he saw. And so uh, he decided he's going down to Brooklyn, took the train into Brooklyn, and he found 770 Eastern Parkway, and he walks into the shul, and he starts uh, looking for the rabbi from the TV. Where's the rabbi from the TV? So uh, the, the Bahram over there, the yeshiva boys, they, they, first of all, they, they saw he was a little bit out of place, so they asked him, did you put on tefillin today? He said, I haven't put on tefillin in 30 years. So they said, okay, now's your chance. So they put on tefillin with him. But which he did, but uh, but then he's saying, But I'm here for the rabbi, I want to see the rabbi from the TV. When when do I get to meet the rabbi from the TV? So they said, It's not so simple, it's not just like you know, you walk in and uh, you know, you get a meeting, and uh, he says, But I have to I have to meet the rabbi from the TV. So they said, Look, you can't get a meeting with him, but what you could do is you could see him when he'll come out to pray the afternoon prayer, then you'll get to see the rabbi. So uh, he waited. And it was, it was, it was morning when he, when he arrived. So he waited several hours. And uh, finally the Rebbe came out for Mincha. And as the Rebbe was coming out, this guy, Abe Sachs, coach of the Harlem Globetrotters, did something. Probably he was the first person and the last person in 770 to do, which is, you know, a lot of people, when the Rebbe would come into the room, they would run away because they were nervous about uh, you know, they didn't want to do anything unseemly in the Rebbe's eyes, and so they sort of melted into the scenery. He did the exact opposite. He made a beeline right for the Rebbe, ran right up to the Rebbe, got really, really close. And he says, with great excitement, he says, Rabbi, my name is Abe Sachs, I'm the coach of the Harlem Globetrotters. And everyone's sort of looking at him like, cringing at the inappropriateness of the way he presented himself, and sort of the how he was socially uh, out of place, inept, and uh, before anybody could comment, or do anything, or, or remove him, in case anyone had that idea, the Rebbe responded without missing a beat, great, I need a coach, and proceeded to Mincha. Now, that's, that's the story. Now, afterwards, what happened is, he became a fixture, as I said, and when there were fabrengens that were not on Shabbos, he would come to 770 and he would do his thing, he would literally coach at the Febrengetz. You see, the Rebbe's response, I mean, to say that the Rebbe took it in stride, and the Rebbe was compassionate, probably not surprising to anybody. Um, That the Rebbe didn't embarrass him, again, not surprising. But there's something particularly artful and instructive about the response. You know, there's a difference between Tolerance and Interdependence. Tolerance means that even though someone's different from us, it's okay, we're nice people, we're tolerant people, we'll let you be here. That's Tolerance. Interdependence is... Not even though someone is different from us. Especially because someone is different from us. Especially because they are unlike anyone else here. Well, we don't have anyone else like you. We need you over here. So, a tolerant response to the coach would have been like, well, the guy's a little eccentric, but at least he's sincere. Okay, don't embarrass him. Yeah, that's very cute. Uh, You know, find your place. We'll make a place for you. That that would be tolerant, but interdependence is you say to this guy who's funny and out of place and doesn't know the social rules, that not only will we find a place for you, but to a certain extent your place has been empty, we've been missing you. Until you arrived. Almost, it was almost as if the Rebbe was saying, like, almost half annoyed, like, You're the coach? Well, what have you been doing all this, all, the, all this time? Where have you been? If you're the coach, you know, why weren't you here already? I need a coach. Now, if you would have asked anybody the day before the coach arrived, <coughs> what did the Verbrengens really need? If they would have taken a poll in 770. Guys, we want to add something to the Debas Verbrengens to really take us to the next level. What do you think we could do? Nobody would say, oh, you know what we should totally get? We should get a coach. We'll get a guy, yeah, a real coach, like a basketball coach, and he'll stand on the bleachers, and he'll pump his fists, and he'll like cheer on the whole uh, crowd, and that'll just be the greatest thing. Nobody, nobody would say that. No one would dream of it. And yet, Abe Sachs says I'm the coach and the Rebbe tells him alright well you know it's about time because we, we need a coach over here get to work no one wants to be tolerated no one wants to be told it's okay that you're here how do people want to be reacted to They want to be told we were, we were wanting we were lacking we were missing without you So, it's interesting, that if you look at these verses that we read before. You are standing today, all of you, before Hashem your God, heads of your tribes, the elders, the officers, every man of Israel, children, women, the convert within your camp, from the choppers of wood to the drawers of water, in order to pass into the covenant of Hashem, your God. um, There are actually 10 categories enumerated here. And when we say 10 categories, we say the number 10, what does the number 10 make you think of when you're talking about people? A minion. What's the idea of a minion? The idea of a minion is that if you're one short of a minion, You have nothing. You don't have a minion at all. Every single one is indispensable. So too, what's the point here? What's it saying? It's saying that when you have the Jewish people together, all the different types and all the different stripes, there's not one type or category or class that's dispensable. To the contrary, it takes all kinds and you need every single one of them, and if you didn't have any one of them, you'd be lacking, and we wouldn't be able to do business. Just like a minion that's lacking one isn't able to pray, or at least it's not able to say certain prayers. That's the idea. Last week, Chai the 18th day of Elul, is uh, the birthday of the Baal Shem Tov, and also the birthday of the Alter Different years, but same same date. So, uh, in fact, that's why we didn't have class last week. Okay. So, where where was I? One night I was in Denver, and the other night I was in Los Angeles. But in Denver, I heard a great story. And you know, if you have to be careful, don't tell a story to a public speaker, or you're going to hear it be used very very soon. So, it happened to be I, I got to Denver, and the rabbi who's event it was there in Denver, he took me for lunch and uh, there was a, a, couple of, a couple of other rabbis there and he mentioned a story there and I liked it so much, I, uh, I, liked, I liked it so much I used it that night at the event that they brought me to speak for. What, what, what was the story? The story was that he, Rabbi Engel from Denver, that he was uh, as a as a bacher in yeshiva, he was in Miami, and uh, the local shliach or one of the local shluchim needed to be away on yom kippur for a family emergency. It actually, happened to be his wife was giving birth, and she had to for for insurance reasons she had to actually give birth out of town. She, she, out of the country really, Montreal, so the shliach had to be in Montreal for his wife's uh, labor and uh, he got a couple, actually it was more than a couple, there were four Yeshiva bachrim from the Yeshiva there in Miami who were going to cover for this Rabbi's uh, shul on Yom Kippur. So there were four of these boys and uh, they, they come to Shul, Yim Kippur, before, before Kol Nidrei and uh, there's like one guy there, and they wait, and they wait, they wait, and then another guy comes, a second guy. Now, now they're up to six, and they're waiting, they're waiting, then they're up to seven. It's a couple hours, and they've got nine guys, and they're thinking to themselves, what, what's going to happen here? I mean, it's Kol Nidre. Kol Nidre, Kol Nidre, we're not going to have a minion. There's nine guys. and Kol Nidre, That's like the that's the that's the Super Bowl of Judaism. That's the biggest night. That's a, and this is and uh, they're stalling, trying to buy time, trying to get the other guys not to leave. And he says, uh, all of a sudden, he hears the steps creaking outside. It was like the the front door had a little walk up. To the front door so he says he heard the creaking of the steps and all of a sudden there was this silence in the room there was just this anticipation this electricity and some guy walked into the room and they all rushed him and they grabbed him and they danced around him and you know he you would think uh you know that he had just uh, thrown the the game-winning touchdown for for the super bowl the way that they received him and uh You know, but really what was it? He was the 10th guy to walk in and the complete dominion for Kol Nidre. So uh, Rabbi Engel says that it was at that moment that I realized exactly how every Jew needs to be welcomed to every shul. When do you realize when you're waiting for the 10th guy two hours into Kol Nidre? Then you realize how every Jew ought to be welcomed under every circumstance. He doesn't have to be the 10th guy. There could be 200 people, and he could be guy 210. And still that's the way that he should be welcomed. Why? Because it's not about tolerance, it's about interdependence. And if we don't have you, it's not just that, oh, okay, if you show up we'll make space. Okay, we'll make room for for one more. That's not it. That's tolerance. Interdependence means when another Jew shows up, we realize, retroactively albeit, how much we were lacking before this one more Jew showed up, before this one more Jew arrived. So I was asking how we're supposed to look to this Parsha for a lesson, how to get ready for the high high holidays. So one very... uh, Specific lesson, very practical lesson is high holidays in Shul is sort of like a, a cold war between the regulars and the once a year Jews, right? Let's be honest, right? It, it's not necessarily once a year. Sometimes three days a year, right? Two days of Rosh Hashanah and one day Yom Kippur, and uh, there's like this standoffishness, this t- territorialism. You know, I'm a regular. I have here every week, and now somebody sat in my spot, right? Or somebody took my machzor, or they they took they they, they took they took my uh, my talis. You know, the attitude has to be that when somebody presents themselves in shul even if and especially if this is somebody who you don't normally see that is not only okay you realize that in a certain way we were lacking we were missing until they arrived. Okay now let's talk on a bigger level how does this get us ready for the new year the new year of course we know means that we want hashem to bless us with a good sweet happy healthy new year for us and all of our loved ones so we're trying to strike a deal when do we negotiate the best deal So we're saying earlier that it's counterintuitive that you put us all together and then we have to negotiate. No, no, no. If I have a better case, let me negotiate on my own. No. The answer is like this. When do we negotiate the best deal with Hashem? When we're together. When we have all types. Precisely because when you look at all these different groups. Rosheikem Shiv the heads of the tribes, the highest of the high, the most elite, and the Sheyev Mehmecha, the water carriers, you say, what connection do they have to each other? What logical kinship? What relationship is there between these two these two Jews? It's irrational, makes no sense perfect that's perfect because that's the whole purpose of a covenant see when you have two friends two allies two partners who come together for a reason which generally is the reason why you know that's redundant to say the reason people come together is for a reason but that's true people have a reason why they align themselves with with another with others um What's the purpose of a contract or a covenant? Is that you're making a deal that even later, should that reason dissipate, we're both stuck. Even when we have no reason any longer to be together, we're making a decision now, while we are motivated to be together, that even later, should one of us lose, or maybe even both of us lose interest in staying in this partnership that we've signed on to it and now we can't get out. So the whole concept of a contract or covenant is to say that we're going to continue together even when we don't have the reason to stay together anymore. The contract itself sort of supplants the lack of reason. So when we want to make a deal with Hashem, when we want to sign on for another year, and sign that contract. What's the best way to do it? When we have a contract with each other that makes no sense. When we say that Jews, all types, will be unified with each other, even when, outwardly speaking, there's no connection between those two groups. Even when you would look at them and you would say, you know, I hate to say this, but I was, I was, once, I was once talking to a guy, a learned guy. A Ben Tzedek, somebody who I, I I would hope would have would, would know better, and uh, how I don't I don't remember how I let the conversation turn to politics because generally I I, I I avoid it like the plague, but it turned to politics, and he starts to talk about how uh, so and so such and such uh, uh, Jewish politician is uh, whatever it is. I don't let's. I'm, I'm avoiding politics. The point is, so I, I, I said to him, uh, and, he's a, and he starts saying about, you know, about the, the, the evangelicals and the Bible Belt and about, you know, they have good, uh, they, 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 I like how they vote, they have good policy. So I said to him, you know, you're not a bagels and locks Jew, you're not a cultural Jew, you're a, you're a learned Jew, you're a scholar, you study Torah. So let me ask you a question. Who do you have more in common with? A a, a Bible Belt Evangelical Christian who votes like you? Or a totally irreligious Jew who doesn't vote like you? He says, with the Evangelical from the Bible Belt. I said, I don't understand how in the world a learned Jew could say such a thing. Maybe if all you knew of Judaism were, were cultural, so then you would say, someone I have a cultural kinship with you know but, but you, you should know better you do know better that it's not about having a cultural link it's about all Jews having a certain interdependence and, and to the contrary the fact that you have members of one nation who are so diverse and so different and, and culturally have very little in common and maybe even have nothing in common other than the fact that they're just members of this nation, that they're both Jews. That itself, that itself is the entire point of, 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 of our ability to strike a strong deal with, with Hashem. When we say to Hashem, look at us, we have brothers and sisters who we have nothing in common with, and nevertheless, we're making a contract with each other. And, and that's the answer, by the way, to the hinted, uh, what Rashi says, the hinted contract that the Canaanites made in the, the times of, of Moshe Rabbeinu and the Gevinim, the Gibeonites made in the times of Yeshua. Remember, they, they came and they were duplicitous. Under false pretenses, they made a peace treaty and they became part of the Jewish nation. Technically speaking, maybe if you would have a good lawyer, you could have sued them and you could have kicked them out of the Jewish nation because they did it on false pretenses and yet both both Myu and Yeshua said, "You know what you, they can stay we' we're not going to contest it we're not going to dispute it they can stay that's precisely why this is hinted here when we talk about the the, the, the Canineim in the times of Moshe Rabbeinu, and the Geveinim in the times of Yeshua, who came and they made a deal, and it wasn't a fair deal, and it was even a shady deal, and nevertheless, the leader of the Jewish people said, honor it, keep them, we're not disputing it. When we have that attitude toward every Jew, and say, keep him, include him, he's part of us, We're we're not disputing it, then the same exact response reciprocally comes from, from Shamayim from Heaven. Hashem says, you know what? I'll make a crazy deal with you too. You're making a crazy deal with each other, I'll make a crazy deal with you too. And that's the deeper meaning, what well, so this explains from this whole parsha, from this whole uh, beginning of, of Parsha's Nitzavim. Atem Nitzavim Hayem. Nitzavim means standing. Standing means victorious. It means vindicated. How so? Because we've been judged favorably. When? On this day. What's the day? The big day. Yayim Hadin, Rosh Hashanah. Why? Why were we judged favorably today on the big day? Because Kulchem, Lifnash, Hemile, Kechem. All of you, all categories, every type of Jew, even those we have nothing in common with, even those who. Culturally, we, 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 we don't have the same language, we don't have the same sprach. we don't have the same interests, doesn't matter. A Jew is a Jew, Is a Jew is a Jew, and when we honor that, when we honor Jewish unity, as crazy as it is, then Hashem says, he's honoring his deal with us, as crazy as, as, as that is. So if you want to know how to negotiate a good contract, that's how you negotiate a good contract. You look out for somebody, Who you think you have nothing in common with, other than the fact that they are also Jewish. And Hashem will look out for you. Anyways, should have a good, sweet, healthy, happy new year for you and yours.